morning. It's good to see y'all. I'm grateful uh, to the team last week for giving me the week off. I, I missed a big week, though, sending out all of our students on the mission trip. They made it back. Everybody made it back? Most of them? Great. 96% is always the goal. Okay, awesome. Uh, so I'm sorry I missed last week, but the tra- trajectory of my life has gone from taking kids on mission trip to driving a dancer to San Antonio for dance camp. So uh, grateful for the time off, but uh, also grateful for Roland uh, who preached last week. Um, And I wanted to share with y'all some really exciting news about Roland. Um, So Roland has been working on ordination through our denomination uh, and he recently has been approved. Everything's been cleared and he is set to be ordained. And before you clap, our session has already met and has decided to call Roland into the role of being an executive pastor. Now you can clap, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, so with this being his first call, that means that sometime later in the summer, early fall, we get to have an ordination service uh, for Roland and that'll be a great time for our church to gather around him and Esther and Noah and to celebrate the work that God's been doing through him here for years and the work that he's gonna continue to do moving forward. So just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, before we get started, let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, Grateful that you call us here uh, to worship and remember. That is part of what worshiping is, is to remember who you are and what you've done. Jesus, we are grateful for the good news that you came among us, one of us to be with us, to bear a burden that we cannot bear for ourselves. Holy Spirit, we are grateful that in raising Christ from the dead, you have made a way for a new life for each and every one of us. So this morning, I pray that uh, God, you would open our ears, our minds, our eyes, our hearts, so that we can receive this good news that you have for us. And then in turn, open our hands and get our feet to the road so that we can take this news to the world in redemptive and healing and loving and joyful and peaceful and patient ways. And we're grateful for this time that we have together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So uh, for the past couple months, we've been on this mission uh, to really bring some clarity to who we are and what we're called to do here at First Pres. So first we talked about what we call the bare necessities. Um, so our purpose, our mission, our values. We've given some really clear definitions to really common terms like discipleship and the gospel. And we're doing this because we really believe that clarity and focus is what keeps the church, the church, and it protects us from being blown around by the winds of culture. This is what keeps us on the right track if we just always remember who we are. So then we looked at what it means to bear burdens. Uh, We know the gospel is that Christ bears the burden of our sin and shame for us. It's a burden that we can't bear on our own, but in turn, as a faithful response of gratitude to God, we're called to bear burdens for one another, to love and care for one another as a way of proclaiming and witnessing to Jesus's love and care for us. So this week, we're starting a new series. We're calling it Bear Fruit. You're starting to see a pattern. Uh, The staff has taken to naming the bear. Humphrey. We can maybe do better, I don't know. Let me think about it. I do want to share with you all, uh, this is random, but it's exciting to me. Um, many of you know that uh, I, <laughs> I'm marked. <laughs> I, I have some 
I have tattoos, I have ink on me, whatever. Uh, so recently in the past year, uh, I've, I've made a friend who's a tattoo artist. Uh, he is the one who's drawing these images for us. Um, so he is somebody who has uh, not necessarily been uh, connected to the church in a way, and over time, uh, it's been exciting uh, to get to know him and build a friendship with him, and it's really cool just to watch him uh, draw these images. Uh, so I don't even care what they look like every time. They come in my email box, and I just celebrate. So uh, there's actually two more of these to come, and we'll get to those in the fall and for Christmas. So uh, this week, we're starting this new series, Bear Fruit. Um, in Galatians 5, Paul is describing a war. Sounds weird, you know we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, but he's actually describing a war. He's describing this cosmic war between two powers that are fighting for you. They desire you, they long for you. One power is what he calls the Spirit, and the other power he calls the flesh. And in Galatians 5, he's explaining just how this war is being waged by both sides. And then he invites us to reflect on a really challenging question. In my life, in our culture, in our church, which side is winning? He makes the argument that look at what you're bearing into the world and it'll become really clear which side is winning. So for this summer, we're going to wrestle with Paul's words in Galatians 5. This simple list, nine aspects of what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And we're doing this because this will continue to bring clarity to who we are, to what we're called to do by giving us a picture of what real, faithful, and active discipleship looks like in our daily lives. So I want you to listen to this from Galatians 5. I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 26. We'll get a little bit of context. Uh, He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Just that that first little section, when I listen to these words, when I look at our culture and the world around us, and then people tell me that the Bible is nothing more than an ancient book full of irrelevant stories, nonsense. That speaks to us directly today. Words written 2,000 years ago are as fresh and as applicable to us right here and right now. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed. What is happening around us every single day? Now, what will bring us a little bit of comfort is Paul was actually not writing these words to the Roman culture. He was writing these words to the church. Sometimes that happens in the church and it's not unique to us. It was happening in Paul's day too. So it goes on. Uh, So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. (laughs) I was at HEB yesterday. And as I was driving away, I saw a guy walking out wearing a shirt. I kid you not, the shirt said, I do what I want, when I want, where I want. (laughs) And I'm thinking of this passage, I'm like, oh my gosh, brother, that is not freedom. (laughs) Freedom is not doing whatever we want whenever we want it. Society just does not function that way. And if you think I'm wrong, ask yourself, if a five-year-old had that kind of freedom in your house, would your life be in order or would it be in chaos? So I thought that was great. I mean, I was sad he was wearing the shirt, but I thought it was awesome because I wanted to share it with you. So I looked it up online um, and that's when I saw it. Um, I saw the part of his shirt that I missed. 
The shirt said, I do what I want, when I want, where I want, and then it says, except I gotta ask my wife one second. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I don't know who, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I, I apologize, <laughs> forgive me for jumping to conclusions. <laughs> anyway, Paul goes on, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he writes, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, idolatry and witchcraft. <laughs> Those are a little weird, but it might start to get a little more personal here. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. So we're going to spend this summer with the fruit, uh, but today I just want to talk about the metaphor. In describing the Holy Spirit's work in this battle for our entire being, a battle against the flesh, they both desire us and they are fighting for us. Wouldn't a better metaphor have been like a weapon? <laughs> Something a little harsher? So why does Paul instead choose to use fruit as his metaphor for a battle being waged for our entire being? Well, to understand it, uh, sometimes it helps me to think about what something is not. So let's talk about what the fruit is not. You have to notice first, Paul uses the phrase, the fruit of the spirit, not the fruits of the spirit. Paul is describing one fruit that is found in these nine different but equal expressions. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute, but this is why this matters. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes what he calls the gifts, plural, the gifts of the Spirit. The different ways that we are all equipped to do the work God's called us to do in service of the church. It says this, it says, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines we are all given the spirit, that same spirit Beth talked about at Pentecost, and we are all given gifts, but not everyone is given the same gifts. The passage will go on to talk about being one body, the body of Christ, but a body with many parts. We are not all feet or thumbs, but we are a foot or a thumb or an arm, individual parts that together make up the same body. <laughs> the first pastor I ever worked for some of the wisest advice he ever gave me 
I was dealing with an especially grumpy person. And they were just especially grumpy. This really was on them. So he was trying to teach me how to be gracious and kind and how to deal with that person. And he said, Chad, the easiest thing to remember is that even the body of Christ has a rear end. (laughs) Now I'm gonna tell you, he used more graphic language than that, but we have kids in the room. So anyway, we are all equipped to serve, but we are not equipped to serve in the same way. The gifts of the Spirit are just the means by which we're called to serve as parts of the body of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is something else entirely. So what is it? Well, a pastor named Tim Keller, he tells this story. He says there's a story about a man who, when he died, was buried under a marble slab. But somehow an acorn got into his grave. Over time, gradually but unnoticed, that acorn grew. Eventually, it split open the marble. That's how powerful it had become. A marble slab or a tiny seed. If you didn't know how things grow, you'd put your money on the marble. But of course, in fact, you should always bet on the acorn. Now, I'm no arborist, and to be honest with you, I literally had to Google, what do you call a person who studies trees? (laughs) So I am no arborist. But even I can work with that analogy on a couple levels. Like, I get it. It's practically true. An acorn, as it grows, will overcome obstacles and can even break through incredibly dense things. Many of you have had foundation work done on your house. That's proof of this. But you can take it even deeper. What is an acorn? Well, the arborists on Google will tell you that it's made up of a stalk, a cupule, a nut. The bottom part is called the remains of the style. I don't know what the style is, but that's the remains of one. <laughs> but there's even more to it. Inside the nut, or the fruit, is what's called the radical, the plumule. Two cotyledons. And <laughs> that's neither Greek nor Hebrew, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It doesn't matter. There's the pericarp, the seed coat. And I'm sure that you can break this down into even more parts. Or imagine the oak tree itself, it has many parts, the root, the trunk, the branches, the leaves, etc. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of nine virtues that you need to go work on in your life so that you can become more like Christ. Just like the acorn or the oak tree, the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit made up of many parts. And Paul lists them to help us recognize whether or not that fruit is actually growing in our lives. So this fruit metaphor is intentional, it's brilliant, and it's really important in four uh, specific ways. And these four ways come from uh, Tim Keller's book, it's called Galatians for You, it's great, it's really easy to read if you wanna study this further. Uh, So the first reason that he says the fruit metaphor is brilliant um, is because a Christian growth, being mature in Christ, is a gradual process. You never see that growth happening moment to moment. You only recognize it over time. I've told you guys before, uh, my dad, when I was young, he grew this 110 pound watermelon. I mean, that thing was huge, but it wasn't always huge. (laughs) Just like every other watermelon, it started as a seed. And from day to day to the naked eye, we couldn't see it growing until one day it became clear, if I hollowed that thing out, it was big enough that I could shove my little sister inside of it. (laughs) And I considered it. (laughs) (laughs) Christian growth, becoming mature in Christ, is a gradual process over a lifetime. 
And it is only brought to completion by our glorification, our resurrection, being united fully with Christ again. And y'all, that's good news for us today because the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of virtues that you must be completely and perfectly bearing into the world if you're going to call yourself a Christian. That is not how it works. That's not what Paul's saying. The good news is that the fruit grows slowly, becoming more and more evident and available to those who are in Christ. The question is, over time, are you more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient. Maybe it's hard to tell, looking in the mirror, looking at yourself. Ask someone around you, someone who's known you for a long time, over time, am I more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient? If so, the fruit is growing in you and you're on the right track. The second, Paul uses this metaphor to tell us that Christian growth is inevitable. If the spirit is present in the soil of your life, that fruit is going to grow. It's a promise. It's good news, but it's actually a little bit of a surprise. My dad was a really good gardener. It was one of his gifts, and he loved doing it. But as good as he was, the best he could ever do is just maintain a healthy environment so that growth might happen. He didn't make the watermelon grow so large that I could stuff my sister in it. He didn't do that. He just worked and provided an environment in which it could grow. Proof of this is that he only grew one 110-pound watermelon. (laughs) Everything else came out normal. Any gardener or farmer knows sometimes there are just things beyond their control. Sometimes the crops grow, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the fruit is good, sometimes it's bad. The surprise is that the fruit of the Spirit is not reliant on water and weather. It is only reliant on God and the power of his spirit at work in you. That's good news, but it comes with a challenging truth. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, we are saved by faith, not by growing fruit, but we are not saved by a fruitless faith. A person truly saved by faith will be a person in whom the fruit of the Spirit grows. The Apostle James, later in the New Testament, will say it like this. You, you say you have faith? Great. Show me. Show me. Third, growth and maturity in the Christian life, it is sustained by our roots. Those nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, they are fruit. They are the product. They are not the tree itself. Uh, do, Do acorns on an oak tree make that oak tree alive? No. Acorns don't give the tree its life, but they are evidence that the oak tree is alive and well. And the reason that's important is because this summer we are not encouraging you to go be more loving, joyful, and peaceful. What we're inviting you to do is to grow in your relationship with the person of Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit to firmly plant your roots in his gospel. Because if that's happening, the fruit will grow. And again, this is the test. This is where we turn for evidence that our faith is real. I told you earlier, Galatians 5 is about a war, about a battle between the spirit and the flesh, a battle for your whole being. 
The spirit is, of course, the spirit of God given to us by faith in Jesus. The flesh is honestly just everything else. Everything else in this world other than God that seeks your ultimate attention, your allegiance, and your worship. In each of our lives, if the spirit of God is winning the battle for our entire being, then the fruit will grow. If the flesh is winning, well, we read the list of what that looks like earlier. You see, the truth is every life is producing something. Every life is producing something. Is it the works that are affirmed and held up as virtues by the world around us? Or is it the fruit of the spirit of the one who made us in his image to glorify and enjoy him forever? Where are my roots? That'll tell me what I'm bearing into the world. Finally, growth in the Christian life, growing in the spirit is comprehensive and it's symmetrical. And all that means is that the fruit of the spirit grows together. All of it. An acorn is never just a well-developed stem or a nut by itself. Without the stem, the nut cannot remain connected to the tree. So these nine aspects of the fruit of the spirit, they are not individual and they are not independent. They are comprehensive, completely dependent upon one another. I mean, can you really be as loving as Jesus is loving without also being joyful, without also being peaceful and patient and kind? Can you be as gentle and as faithful as Jesus if you aren't practicing self-control? One aspect of the fruit cannot grow in isolation from the others. It's not enough to say I'm loving. (laughs) The challenge is, am I becoming more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and all the rest? I want to quote uh, Keller directly again as we explain this, because this really is the challenge to understanding this chapter, but also the challenge to understanding real discipleship as opposed to just living a life that's full of good works. Uh, He says this, he says, when we look at the list of the fruits, we notice that we are just naturally stronger in some than in others. But our strengths, apart from the Holy Spirit, are due to natural temperament. Maybe we have a trait through our chemistry or training. Or it's natural self-interest. We learned a trait in order to handle some issue or condition that we've met. And he goes on to say, there are many, many cases of this. Some folks seem happy and bubbly. You might call that joy and are good at meeting new people, but they're very unreliable and they can't keep their friends. This is not real joy. It's just being an extrovert. (laughs) Some people seem very unflappable and unbothered, and you might call that peace, but they are not kind and they are not gentle. So it's not real peace. It might be indifference, perhaps even cynicism. You see, unfortunately, we can't look at our gifts, at our own natural strengths to provide proof that we are becoming more like Christ. We have to look at a much deeper and more comprehensive way. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look closer at each of these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to ask some really practical, so what questions. And for this week, I feel like the most important question to start with is maybe one of the hardest ones in this war between the spirit and the flesh for my entire being, which side is winning? And what I love about this book and about this chapter is that there are practical and obvious ways for us to test this. We can answer this question. 
In that list of the works of the flesh, for example, that list that we read earlier, the first three are really uncomfortable. (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now here's the deal. The rest of scripture tells us God designed us as sexual beings on purpose because it's good. But there is a means by which it remains good, by which it is pleasing to God and a blessing for his image bearers. There is a design for it given by the God who made us. He knows how it's supposed to work. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, they are in direct opposition to God's design, to God's plan for human sexuality. The problem is that they're not always in direct opposition with the values of our culture. You could even argue that throughout history, at times, they're not even outliers. That sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery have even become virtues in our culture. So in the battle for my entire being, are the virtues and values of my culture winning? Or am I bearing bearing the works of the flesh into the world? Or is the spirit of God winning? Am I bearing the fruit of the spirit into the world? This is not about judging others for their decisions. This is about us. What am I bearing into the world? What about my public life? It says the works of the flesh are hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. I mean, watch the evening news, listen to our public voices and see that the works of the flesh are defining who we are as a culture. And I would argue that those works are not outliers anymore. They are becoming virtues in the way that we practice treating one another in our culture. Am I bearing into the world the works of the flesh? Am I caught up in hatred and discord, in jealousy and fits of rage? Is there somebody I'm angry at just because they have a different political perspective than me? Is there somebody in my family that I won't talk to because we disagree about some issue? What am I bearing into the world? Might I be bearing fruit? Either way, it is evident by the way that I listen, by the way that I think, by the way that I speak, and by the way that I interact with those around me. We are called to be fruit bearers, not workers of the flesh. That is what makes us different from everyone around us. You might think uh, when Beth listed (laughs) those fruit earlier, that a series of messages throughout the summer about love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest, you might think that it might just be a light summer. (laughs) This might be fun, but it it won't necessarily be. This is not going to be easy, but it will be good. Because if we really take this seriously, it'll give us clarity, good definitions of the fruit that God's spirit is growing within us. It'll give us a way to measure if over time that growth is taking place. The good news is, whether the fruit is growing or not, every one of us is invited each and every waking moment to meet Jesus at the foot of that cross and let him begin to do that work. Listen, those works of the flesh, that stuff shows up in all of our lives. It does. My wife is in the room. I would invite you to talk to her after worship and ask for evidence, but trust me. (laughs) Those works of the flesh show up in all of our lives. That is not the point. The point is not, did I commit this one thing? We're all sinners. We confess that every time we come to worship. The point is, who am I becoming? I am a sinner 
who, yes, does make these mistakes and do these things that I am not designed to do, but who am I becoming over time? Am I becoming somebody who's proclaiming the news of the works of the flesh, or am I becoming someone who's proclaiming with my life the good news that Christ has planted the fruit of the Spirit in my life and he's using me to help others find that hope and that freedom that I have found? Amen? Does that make sense? He has made a way for that to happen in all of our lives. He is fighting that battle for our entire being. Will we let him? Let's pray. Father, I'm really grateful uh, for painfully practical advice from scripture. (laughs) Um, You give us poetry, you give us beautiful stories, you give us analogy, you give us this weird book of revelation that we spent way too long in. But you also give us just daily, practical explanations of what it means to follow Jesus. So God, in the ways that this church, that your church right here is bearing into the world the works of the flesh, we confess it. We ask you to transform us so that we are not just a carbon copy of everything around us, that we are not part of the noise and the nonsense, but we are countercultural, something different. In my life, where I am proclaiming the works of the fresh and not displaying the fruit of the spirit, I confess it, continue to transform me. Give me confidence and faith that you are doing that work in me so that I can be used by you, so that we as your church can be used by you, not to go into the world and judge the world, but to simply share with them the good news of how loved they are by you. So God, give us the courage and the strength. Give us the bravery that we need to look at our own lives, to ask that difficult question, what am I bearing into the world? And to know that whatever the answer is, you have never left, you are right by our side, ready to receive us and to make us a fruit-bearing creature for the blessing and the benefit of the world around us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.